This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Giants appear frequently not only in folklore, but in alternate history as well. You'll hear of people saying giants lived alongside us at some point. Others say we descended from them. At the end of the day, anything larger than life appearing right before you in the wilderness would flip your whole world upside down. Welcome to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails to hear about what kind of pictures we've been sending to the aliens, apparently. Today's stories feature a giant creature encountered on a camping trip, a hunting trip gone horribly wrong, and more. Enjoy, and don't forget your sacred mission, to scare the socks off of me. Go to darkstories.org and send me your scariest true stories of the unexplained. But if my socks stay on, may God have mercy on your souls. For more scary stuff, go to eeriecast.com. Now, let's begin. Cub Scout Recollection From Meter Maid 24 This is a memory I try to keep pushed down. It's not something I like to think about because it's unsettling and confusing but it is very real. It was 2011. I was very psyched that weekend for a campout. I had joined the Cub Scouts that year, and this would be my first time camping with the troop. Mom got me a brand new sleeping bag, and Dad bought me a cool new flashlight that strapped to my head. I spent weeks before the trip, planning what snacks and other things to bring, imagining all the fun I would have with my new friends. When Friday finally rolled around, I was bursting with excitement. Mom drove me to the meeting spot and helped me haul my overstuffed backpack to the gathering area. I gave her a quick hug goodbye before running off to join my den. We all were cracking up laughing and joking around while the scout leaders did one final backpack check to make sure we had the essentials. After what felt like ages, the scoutmasters rounded all of us up leading us to the buses that would be taking us into the mountains, to the camp. I plopped down next to my best friend Simon. We played card games to pass the time during the bumpy bus ride. We were both new to scouting that year, and had hit it off right away, with our shared obsession of crawling through the massive drainage pipes around our neighborhood. After an hour or so, the buses lumbered up the narrow, winding driveway of the lakeside camp. Simon and I pressed our faces against the grimy windows, 
ooing and aahing over the thick forests and wild hills surrounding the camp. The buses squealed to a stop, and we bounced out, heading straight to the campsites, where we'd be picking spots and setting up tents. Simon and I scored a prime area right next to the main trail, which led to the latrines, close enough to the counselor tents that we hopefully wouldn't get in trouble for some late-night giggling. We helped each other assemble our simple A-frame tents, struggling a bit to get the flexible poles correctly seated. With our camp fully set up, the real fun could start. We did our first activity rotation that evening, which was archery. After that was rowboating and climbing the towering rock wall. Well, Sam climbed the wall. I belayed him from below, too nervous to go past the halfway point. By the time we got back, the sun was setting, and the scout leaders were getting the bonfire ready. We gobbled down the delicious hearty stew the camp cooks had prepared, then ran around the field, burning off some steam before the fire. The flames were really roaring when the scouts finally gathered in a ring around the burning logs. I'll always remember how mystical that scene was, shadows dancing against the dark woods behind us, millions of stars twinkling overhead in the mountain sky. One of the scoutmasters officially kicked off the campfire by going over safety rules, but I could barely focus. I just wanted those scary stories to start. After the typical songs and skits, the camp counselor leading the event invited anyone to share local legends or ghost stories about the area. A bunch of the older scouts told some creepy tales about haunted cabins, bloody battlefields, campers being watched from the woods at night. I knew they were just stories, but I found myself getting freaked out anyway. Eventually, Calvin, one of the older scoutmasters, ambled up with a mischievous sparkle in his eye. I figured he was just going to tell some story to try and get a scare out of us kids, but what he said always stuck with me. Calvin warned us that the camp got its fair share of strange, unexplained events from deep in the forest. He described hearing horrible, booming crashes in the middle of the night, even on totally clear evenings. The thunderous sound echoed off the mountaintops, making it impossible for Calvin to track down the source. He swore it was too rhythmic and extended to be collapsing trees or rocks, almost like giant heavy footsteps pounding down from the peaks above. Most of us scouts laughed it off, making jokes about Calvin trying to scare us. But something about the intense look on his face as he told the story made me feel ice cold, even next to the towering bonfire. Another scout leader quickly lightened the mood with a funny skit, but I still felt jittery and on edge when Simon and I eventually headed to our tents. I wriggled into my cozy new sleeping bag, but I couldn't relax. Even with Simon's gossiping whispers distracting me from the scary story, I felt super aware of each little night noise around us. The wind hissing through branches, raindrops pattering on the tent, owls calling in the dark, all put me more and more on edge. Exhausted from the full day of activities, I must have drifted off eventually. Sometime deep in the night, I startled awake for no clear reason. I groggily wondered if I had dreamed something disturbing and was about to sink back to sleep when an earth-shaking boom roared in the distance. I shot upright, heart racing as my mind struggled to place the horrible crashing sound. Had a tree fallen right next to our tents? My heart was hammering as I fumbled to turn on my flashlight. The narrow beam pierced through the darkness of my tent. I scanned the cramped space quickly, then peered outside. No fallen trees, no rubble in sight. What's happening? Simon mumbled from his tent, voice slurred with sleep. Another earth-rumbling boom echoed from somewhere out in the woods, seemingly even closer this time. The plastic tent walls rippled with the force of it. 
I don't know, man. I whispered back. Remember that story Calvin told about the weird booming noises out here? Do you think... I trailed off. I crawled back into my tent, feeling goosebumps rise on my arms that had nothing to do with the cold night air leaking through the cheap tent. Simon and I lay frozen in our spots for a moment, listening intently past the usual forest sounds. The silence stretched on, and I started to wonder if I had imagined the bellowing crashes when an ear-splitting crack cut through the quiet. I swear I could almost feel the vibrations through the hard ground beneath me that time. We should check on the others, make sure everyone's okay, Simon suggested, his voice higher pitched than usual. I really didn't want to go out into that unnatural darkness just yet, but curiosity yanked at me. We finally motivated ourselves enough to scramble out of our cozy sleeping bags, gingerly stepping out of the tent flaps. Most of the other scouts were still snoozing peacefully in their little tents, but we spotted a small group of kids standing in a tense huddle near the counselor tents. As we hurried over, strained whispers reached my ears. Don't know what's going on. Could just be rock slides further in the valley echoing. The last one was way closer, bro. What if it's that monster Calvin was... I awkwardly joined the ring of wide-eyed scouts. A few claimed to have heard the night's first deafening crack from within their tents. Others were awakened only by the second closer boom. Either way, none of us had a clue about the origin of those sanity-questioning sounds. After some time of frenzied speculation, the noises faded out for good. The counselors eventually convinced everyone to go back to bed, using logical explanations about loose rockfalls. But their calming words still couldn't fully drown out Calvin's chilling campfire story, which rang in our heads. I lay awake long after Simon's muffled snores filled the air once more. Those rhythmic, almost footstep-sounding noises reverberated through my memory on repeat. As much as I tried to convince myself of the rock slide explanation, like the Scoutmasters, some deep gut instinct kept me on edge. The next day, all the scouts buzzed about the odd midnight disturbances over breakfast, comparing stories and theories. But outdoor time waits for no one. Soon we were all distracted, splashing down the frigid lake during the polar bear swimming or focused owning our slingshot skills. By nightfall, though, creepy theories came creeping back as shadows stretched over our camp. That evening's activities ended after dinner, with two hours of free roam before lights out. We could hang out at the dining tables or tents if we wanted, but Simon, another friend named Tyler, and I had an even better idea a secret mission into the shadowy forest trails. During the day, older scouts like us were allowed to wander the winding dirt hiking paths if we stayed in earshot. We figured under cover of darkness, we might spot clues as to the previous night's ruckus, or at least have some fun, spooking each other while searching for that mythical forest monster. Tyler ran off to grab flashlights for him and Simon, while Simon and I stuffed our pockets with snacks. I made sure my handy head-mounted flashlight was in working order. We then met up just inside the tree line, trying and failing to seem casual about breaking the rules. My heart sped up with nerves and excitement as we left the last pull of light from the counselor's pit. Our beams bounced erratically off trunks and shrubs as we pushed further down the narrow path. I heard Simon gulp loudly next to me when an owl pierced the night with its eerie hooting. Stray branches scratched faintly against our jackets, making us all twitch with building apprehension. You really think those booms could have been the monster Calvin told us about? Tyler suddenly whispered. He swung his flashlight manically from side to side as we walked, as if he feared something was about to leap from the brush. I mean, he seemed totally serious when he talked about it, 
I murmured back after a few silent seconds. And the timing was weird. Tyler gulped again, but kept scanning the close forest with jerky movements. I was about to reach out to him to help him settle down when he abruptly stiffened. Uh, guys, are you feeling kind of sick too? Tyler asked with a definite quiver in his voice. He wrapped an arm across his stomach and hunched forward. Sick? Simon questioned at the same moment I blurted out. What's wrong? I don't know, man. My stomach just suddenly feels messed up and I'm getting all sweaty. Tyler continued stumbling forward, but his pasty, grimacing face honestly concerned me. Simon pressed a steadying hand to our friend's shoulder. Hey, no worries, buddy. David can keep going and say hi to that monster for us if he wants. But let's me and you head back to the counselors and get you checked out. I felt torn watching Tyler struggle to nod in agreement. I didn't want to abandon what was supposed to be an intrepid trio adventure, but Tyler clearly wasn't up for pressing onward into the eerie night. A feeling of curiosity and exploration got the better of me. Yeah, I'll keep going for a bit if that's alright. I hope you feel better, dude. I offered supportively. Tyler attempted a pained smile over his shoulder before Simon led him carefully back up the trail. And, just like that, I stood alone as their shuffling footsteps faded away. I see doubt trickled down my neck for the first time that night. The surrounding woods seemed even more silent, more ominous, without my friend's company. I couldn't even hear distant camp chatter anymore above the rustling leaves. Still, I reminded myself I was not that deep into the woods yet. No point turning back from my first solo night hike over random creeks and hoots. Adjusting my jacket tighter against the chill breeze, I repositioned my head-mounted flashlight and continued down the narrow dirt trail. Crunching leaves and snapping twigs marked my cautious steps into denser forest. The path remained fairly level with some exposed roots to step over carefully. I used my flashlight more judiciously now that I was solo, trying my best to preserve battery, reducing my chances of spooking wildlife. Still, I paused periodically to sweep my dimming beam across the impenetrable woods around me. During one sweeping scan, I caught a flicker of movement off to my left. My heart was suddenly thunderous. I backtracked my light along a row of tangled bushes. I could make out a pale column rising up from behind the shrubbery. So smooth, it almost glowed in the darkness. My breath caught when I realized my light filtered straight through the shape in places. Almost like Swiss cheese holes. Hardly daring to breathe, I crept off the trail toward the odd formation, barely visible through the bushes. It must be a decaying birch tree, I told myself, firmly battling against icy unease. Still, I had never spotted white bark textured quite like that before. Just as I craned my neck to direct my fading beam at this holy trunk, an earth-shattering crash exploded behind me. I spun in sheer terror, fumbling to not fall over. Had a nearby tree just split and crashed down impossibly close? My weak light finally steadied on the trail I'd left moments before, but instead of a shattered maple or oak now blocking the path, I saw another pale pillar had now risen up in the middle of the dirt trail. How is that possible? I wondered. My heart seizing, I gaped upwards as the smooth column lifted off the ground, rising further and further. I turned to run, now facing that first object I saw, which I thought was a decaying birch tree, only to see it disappear above me, rising off the ground in much the same way. I ran off to the side, ducking behind a mossy boulder twice my size, clinging desperately as my mind reeled. Those column-like things, they had moved, 
rising up like freakish legs. Then, another soul-shaking thud pounded through the darkness, followed by an earthquaking crash even heavier than the previous two. This time, I turned my flashlight upward in stunned realization. The rhythmic sequence lined up perfectly with Calvin's description of booming footsteps and crashing echoes. But that would mean... My heart stuttered to comprehend the pale legs must belong to some towering creature shrouded in night and forest canopy. I mindlessly sat there, trembling behind my protective rock, hearing the colossal footsteps fade steadily into the mountains. No other noise disturbed the deathly silence that night, except my ragged breathing. No scouts came searching for me when I didn't return from the bathroom trip we had used as our hiking excuse. For two hours, pure primal fear pinned me in place, until another scout's distant voice finally echoed down the trail, signaling that free roam had ended. On autopilot, I stumbled those shadowy couple of miles back to camp. I was reprimanded for coming back late, for hiking out too far. That night I hardly slept, between paralyzing waves of confusion and wonder at what I'd watched walking through those woods. Over a decade later, I still shudder remembering that pale towering leg lifting from forest shadows. Whatever had wandered down from untamed wilderness so close to our little scout camp defied all rational understanding. Whenever these scoutmasters organized return trips to the camp, I always refused to go back, making up various excuses, wary of what those dark mountain forests conceal. But I'm also quite tempted by the question that has haunted me all these years. What would happen if I returned to those haunted trails with proper gear? Could I finally get a glimpse of the rest of that huge wandering thing hidden in the darkness and canopy? This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, People are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The First Time From Red Scarecrow 99 I've been lucky enough to have witnessed a great many things in the woods, lakes, and mountains of the Poconos. I've spent my entire life out here, and the fairer weather usually has me itching to go fishing with my stepdaughter, or taking my dog on a hike, maybe even putting my kayak on the lake for some sketchy bass fishing before a thunderstorm. Many people try to get five more minutes in bed, I'm trying to get one more cast in, that being said, it wasn't like that when I was a kid. Hunting was more than a pastime in my family. I grew up with very little money, so hunting was a way to fill the freezer, even if you did have to freeze and be bored doing it. My father and I had just parked his S10 at our friend's house in Goldsboro. I was around 12 years old back then, 
This was my first year carrying a rifle myself. I was excited, but not enough to prevent me from sleeping at 4am on the ride there. So exactly where we went, I'm not sure. Our buddy had just moved there, and his trailer was situated on the edge of a private forest, which his landlord gave us all permission to hunt on. They, the adults, were psyched. I just wanted to read my Harry Potter book already. We walked for what felt like forever. I'm not sure how long it was, but I was in a hurry to sit down, eat my Pop-Tarts, and read. So my father placed me in a section of open pine forest. It was heavily wooded there, but had ample clearings for taking good shots. My dad was the kind of guy who, when he put you somewhere to stand, you'd better stay there. It was barely dawn when he disappeared into the fog that had begun to roll in. I had decided to make the best of it. I cleared brush away to be as quiet as possible while sitting, and got my breakfast ready. I was enjoying this fine cuisine of powder-made hot chocolate and strawberry Pop-Tarts. I had just finished a chapter in my book when I finished my food. The fog had fully rolled in now, and a light breeze had picked up. I only remember this because of the following events. I was reading the second book, The Chamber of Secrets. It felt like I was there for days under that tree, and I decided to hunt by sound. Code for closing my eyes and taking a nap, in case my dad caught me. And that's when everything really started. It started off soft, leaves being kicked up, or at least the sound of leaves. My eyes flew open and adrenaline hit me. I was 12 years old. The images of Bambi's dad flooded my mind. I was pumped. Branches and twigs began to snap in the distance. But it was so foggy, I couldn't see past 40 yards. The noises died down ahead of me and out of sight. I cursed under my breath. The breeze must have carried my scent because the sounds were going around me. I quietly stood up, grabbing my rifle, ready to use it. I knew something was close, and it had to come into view sooner or later. My dad would crap his pants if I got the biggest buck of the year. But the woods were quiet. No birds, no wind, nothing now. I would later learn in life that that is not a good sign. At the moment, I was elated because I could hear better than I could see, and this gave me an advantage. Or so I thought. The steps were walking in a wide arc around me now. I had guessed that Bambi smelled my Pop-Tarts and was trying to find them. The noises of movement, brush moving and twigs snapping, ended in front of me where they began. I was impatiently waiting for my first trophy buck when I saw the outline of a man walking through the fog. I thought my dad had come to get me and just couldn't see through the fog and had gotten turned around. I was happy, yet mad at the same time as I lost sight of him and began to pack up. But he reappeared moments later, peering out from behind a tree. He reached up to steady himself on an overhead branch as he looked at me. Then my senses caught up to me. If that was my dad, why wasn't he wearing orange? Where was his rifle? And why was he so dark? Panic set in. I loved to read, and I loved the triple zero section at the library. Stories of Bigfoot began to flood my mind. As hysteria set in, I let out a blood-curdling scream as a hand came down on my shoulder. It was my father, who now looked as surprised as me. I quickly told him about the man in the fog and how he had watched me and kept walking around me. If fudge around and find out were a person, that was my dad. At the prospect of some man watching me in the woods, he went right to the tree where I'd last seen him. He had his 30-06 trained on the tree. My dad quickly disappeared behind the giant pine 
before reappearing. Nobody here, he yelled out as the blood ran cold in my veins. The branch the man had grabbed above him, as he peered out to look at me, was twelve feet off the ground. I told this to my dad, pleading with him to take me home, and we did leave, only because of the weather. He tried to convince me of black bears walking on two legs, but my time at the library told me what I'd seen. That was the first time I ever encountered what everyone calls Bigfoot. Horror in the Night From S.A. Turning I don't scare easy. When you work the night shift as a security guard in a factory outside of Bogota, you get used to creepy noises and things that go bump when everyone else is sleeping. But that rain-soaked drive home through the Andes still haunts me years later. The overnight supervisor had asked me to stay late that Tuesday to help prep for an inspection. By the time I clocked out, a thunderstorm was brewing over the mountains, making the winding forest road home look even darker than usual. I pulled my jacket on tight and headed to the parking lot as the first fat raindrops splattered around me. My rattletrap truck roared to life, and I squinted through sheets of rainfall now pelting the windshield. Even with wipers on full blast, visibility was terrible between the storm and lack of guardrails on the narrow mountain passes, but going back to crash in the break room for the night was not an option either. Still 40 minutes from home in my tiny village, I white-knuckled the steering wheel and leaned forward, straining to make out the cliffside road through the downpour. Lightning suddenly forked through the clouds, illuminating the forest for miles with electric white light. Blinking to clear the purple blotches from my vision, something shifting in the trees nearby caught my eye in that split-second flash. The flashes of lightning carved shadows along every dripping branch and frond, so making out distinct shapes was impossible. Still, a nagging unease crept up my shoulders. That lurching movement off the road seemed way too big to be a deer or a stray cow. I was wondering about what I might have imagined seeing when the next ear-splitting crack and flash came. This time, there was no denying the silhouetted mass slowly crawling between wide tree trunks ahead, deep in the forest. I could make out spindly jointed legs rippling slowly forward braced against the huge dark sphere of its body, suspended off the rain-slicked earth by a good 10 to 15 feet. I slammed the brakes instinctively before my brain could even process that the thing emerging from the lightning cast shadows had to be the size of a delivery truck, if not bigger, maybe more like the huge tractor trailers that hauled produce through our little village into the capital. This creature, creeping between 2,000-year-old trees in the night, used its numerous barbed legs alone to carry its freakish bulk quietly through the underbrush. The brakes screeched in protest. I shoved my idling truck into reverse then, right as brilliant veins of light again clawed through the churning clouds. Dread leapt into my throat as the momentary flash spotlighted the swollen abdomen I'd glimpsed before now yards closer to the forest's edge. Eight hideous eyes ringed the hairy mass, which had tipped forward as if tasting the storm-charged air. Impossibly long, pointed limbs shifted slowly, getting closer with a trampling grace no truck-sized being should possess. I was panicking then. I craned my neck to peer desperately behind me as the most recent break of lightning faded and darkness returned. I'd realized then I had turned off the headlights, and I didn't dare turn them back on, because if I did, I would fully expose that thing in the woods. I slammed it back into drive, and I roared almost blind down the twisting pass, praying as I never had before to arrive home intact. I only turned on the headlights when I knew I was safe. 
By then, I was gulping down huge breaths again. Back home, I was fumbling my keys, shaking so hard, trying to unlock my door. When I saw my wife, I couldn't force out more than a horrified whisper. I had no idea how to even start describing what I saw. But I did my best after calming down, and luckily she believed me. We moved to the city not long after, and I refused any job which would require me to drive along that road again. Every now and then on stormy nights, my mind still traces patterns of a shriveling shadow sliding stealthily between ancient tree trunks on eight crooked legs braced to charge. The Haunted Car on Campus From Silver Bullet 54 Before I start, many students have seen this, so they can corroborate my encounter. In 2009, I was helping a friend of mine move into the Penn State Hazleton campus in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. As we were moving in, she asked, Did you see that car last night? I told her that I hadn't and asked where that random question came from. She said that she saw it, but something was weird, because no one was driving it. I asked if she meant it was a self-driving car, but she said it was an 80s model. However, she wasn't sure the maker model. I talked to a few juniors there, who said they had seen the same thing. A car randomly traveling around the campus in the dead of night but no one had ever seen anyone in the driver's seat. This whole story seemed bizarre, and I thought it was just a prank, even though all the students assured me it was very true. I really wasn't sure what to make of it at that point. Turns out everyone knew about it. Professors, incoming freshmen, alumni, even the local police department could all document sightings or stories about this supposed haunted car. There were even stories and books and creepypastas written about it. I figured that not everyone could be wrong or lying, so I recruited a few other friends for a stakeout to see just what was going on. A few nights later, we parked at a turkey hill across the road from the campus and watched. At 11 p.m., we saw a car with its lights on, going around the building at a snail's pace. A few minutes later, it showed up again. My friends and I were all actually shivering because of how creepy this was. I had never heard of a haunted vehicle before this. As we watched, the lights dimmed, then went up to the high beams, and there was no one in the front seats. We all screamed and tore out of there. I talked to my friend who lived in the dorms the next day. She said six other students that very same night had the same sighting as us. The high beams, the empty seats, the haunted car, everything. Now, to this day, I wonder, why is it haunting a college? Why did the car move with no one controlling it? And can machines have souls? What does it all mean? I don't have an answer to any of this. The whole case is interesting, but freaky. The Weeping Woman from Millie This happened to me in 2022 when I was coming back from my office one day. It was July and the rain was pouring heavily. It was 9 p.m. at the moment and I left my office sat in my car, and started the drive home. The short way to my office goes through a patch of woods, which always gave me the creeps at night. And, to add to my unease, it was raining so heavily that I could barely see three feet in front of my car. Due to this, I had to move very slowly to avoid bumping into trees. As I was driving through the uneven road, I heard a sound like someone, specifically a woman, was weeping loudly. I'm saying loudly because all my car windows were shut, but even so, I could hear her weeping above the rain's pattering. The hair on the back of my head stood up, 
I tried to find the source of the voice, but I couldn't find it. But as I continued to drive, I saw it. A figure amidst the mist and rain. I couldn't make out a lot of details, but it was certainly a woman. I could see her hair touching her shoulders and a feminine form. She sat on the road, just crying and crying. I couldn't help myself. I rolled down my car window, and I called out to her. Oh, I wish I hadn't. As soon as I spoke, she held her head up, and I swear she didn't have eyes or even a nose. Just a mouth and a smile so wide, it made me nearly soil myself. She grinned at me. Immediately, I rolled my car window back up, but in that brief amount of time, she had rushed to the side window of my car and began to knock at it. My eyes burned with tears. I had never been so scared. My body froze up when I saw a rock in her hand as she was about to break the glass. Something inside me yelled to floor it, so I did. As I started to drive, I swear I heard her wailing and shouting at me to come back. But I never even looked back. I made it home safe, and ever since then, I never took the short way through the woods again. Just beware who you decide to call out to in the middle of the night. Hellhounds from Jen 5445 Late one night, a friend of mine and myself were out driving around, searching for creepy places, trying to scare each other and ourselves. We did this quite often. She was driving a brand new car and we were both smokers at the time. Not wanting to smoke in the car, we had pulled over on the side of the road. We were out in the country so there were no streetlights and houses were few and very far between. At the moment, we both had to pee as well, so she stood at the front of the car and I at the back. Afterwards, we took our time smoking cigarettes before eventually getting back into the car. No sooner had we shut the doors, there were at least half a dozen large black dogs surrounding the car. They were barking at us and snarling looking in through the windows, and when the lights from inside hit their eyes, they shone red. These dogs were big enough to not have to stand on hind legs to peer inside the car. We were terrified. My friend tried to start the car, but the engine was not rolling over. And what's crazy was that this was a brand new car. There was no reason whatsoever why it shouldn't have started. We were extremely scared, now panicking. She tried several times more to start the car, and the whole while, the dogs barked and growled and circled us. At one point, we both frantically looked down at the ignition, as if we were both checking to make sure everything looked right, and by the time we both looked back up, peering out the windows, the dogs were gone. We looked all around us, searching for them, but they were just gone. And the very next time she tried to start the car, it started like it was nothing, running with absolutely no problems. You better believe we got the heck out of there as fast as we could. It's not the only creepy thing we've ever come across, but definitely the experience that stands out as being the most horrifying We'd gone out looking for something that night, and boy did we find it. Be careful what you go looking for, because it may find you. Never Drive Tired From Jack A. It was a dark and moonless night, and the only sound that could be heard at the time was the hum of my semi-truck engine. I have a heavy truck, and it wasn't easy to roll, but as it barreled down the deserted highway, I had been driving for hours, I was starting to feel the fatigue set in. Suddenly, out of nowhere, 
a figure appeared in the middle of the road. I slammed on my brakes, but it was too late. The truck collided with the figure, sending it flying into the darkness. Shaken, but unhurt, I got out of the truck to inspect the damage and to check on this figure. But as I approached the spot where the figure had landed, I realized it was no ordinary person. Its limbs were twisted and contorted in unnatural ways, and its eyes glowed with an eerie yellow light. Before I could react, it let out a blood-curdling howl, and I knew I was in trouble. I raced and jumped back into the truck, slamming the door shut. But whatever that thing was, it wasn't injured enough and was insanely fast. It leapt onto the hood of the truck, clawing at the windshield, trying to break through. I hit the gas, but as I said before, the vehicle was heavy, so it was slow to move. I was going 50, and the thing clung on, its claws digging deep into the metal. For the next few miles, the truck roared down the highway, this thing clinging to the hood. I was terrified that it would break in, but I knew I had to keep driving. Eventually, it jumped off, and I felt relieved, until I looked over, and that creature was keeping up with me. I had to be going at least 70 by then, but this thing just didn't stop. Then, with a quick glance in my rear view, I noticed the trailer was gone. I saw it in the distance, with a gaping hole in it. Did that thing do that? How was that physically possible? After what seemed like forever, the thing let out a final guttural scream and ran off into the night. I never forgot that experience, and I avoided that highway for as long as I could. I was lucky to escape. Saint Coletta's from Sky 3399. 11 p.m. one night, my cousin, her boyfriend, and I were out driving around exploring places. Our first stop was a little forest that overlooked a lake. It wasn't terribly exciting, so we left before long. My cousin, Abby, had an idea to go somewhere haunted, so we all got back in the car and started to drive. My cousin mentions an abandoned place called St. Coletta's. Back in the 30s, St. Coletta's was an institution for the mentally ill and disabled. She begins to tell a story of what happened the last time she went to St. Coletta's with a friend. We'll call her friend Ali. She began, It wasn't late at night, maybe around 11.30pm, when me and Ali drove up there. I heard a noise, so I stopped the car, and when I stopped, everything went quiet. All of a sudden, this black, misty cloud began to form in front of the car, and we heard an inhuman noise. We started to drive away, and I heard church bells. I looked at Ali and asked if she heard them too. She looked at me confused and said, Abby, there are no churches around here. After my cousin finished the story, I got an uneasy feeling in my stomach. We drove for 20 minutes until we arrived. As we drove past, we noticed a cemetery next to the place. I had the same uneasy feeling, but we didn't see anything out of the ordinary. My cousin suggested we try driving past again, since nothing happened the first time. So she turned around, and we did just that. The second we began to drive away, her boyfriend shouted, Did you see that? I just saw something outside the car. But no one else saw it. We drove for five minutes before my cousin stopped the car and sat there silently. Her boyfriend, we'll call him Charles, looked at her and asked, Babe, what's wrong? Why did you stop? My cousin was unresponsive. Charles spoke again. Babe? I then asked myself, concerned. Abby, are you okay? My cousin turned her head in an unnatural way and said in this creepy, disoriented voice, Everything is fine. I'm okay. 
She then started to giggle for a good minute straight. This was quite unsettling. Charles turned around, looked at me, and mouthed, What the heck? Is she okay? Then my cousin said again, Everything is fine, and giggled even more. I felt goosebumps sprouting up all over me. It was then that I heard a deep male breathing sound coming from the back of the car. I looked in the back but didn't see anything. I turned back around and my cousin was making these unnatural body movements now. She stopped the car again, this time leaning forward into the steering wheel. Charles asked, Why are we stopping again? What's going on? My cousin was unresponsive. She began driving again, but remained in the weird position she sat in. I exchanged another freaked out look with Charles. Then Abby started to laugh, saying, Everything is too bright. It hurts my eyes. But nothing around us was bright. It was dark out and there were no other cars in sight. We finally got back to town, and like a light switch being flipped, Abby perked up again, turning back to normal in an instant as if nothing had happened. Charles even asked, Are you good now? Abby looked confused and said, What are you talking about? You were acting like you were possessed for 15 minutes, Charles explained. I added, Dude, you really were acting creepy. I've never seen you act like that before. It was like something was controlling you. We got back to my cousin's place, and I asked her if she even remembered what happened. She told me that, for a good 15 to 20 minutes, she felt as if she wasn't there. Like she was fading in and out. I promise you, my cousin was completely sober but something just wasn't right. It really was like something was possessing her ever since we drove past St. Coletta's the second time, until we got back to town. I think we may have provoked something. I will never be going back to St. Coletta's again. Suffolk Time Slip from Alec Mack I had recently heard about the story of three boys who experienced a time slip in Suffolk, UK, and of another around the same Norfolk area. It inspired me to share mine and my family's experience. It was around 2010 to 2013. I was 8 to 10 years old. My brother and I had been playing badminton with our mom at a country club in a nearby town. We were driving back home at about 10 to 11 p.m. near the Charlesfield area. Having lived in Hertfordshire for a few years, I was familiar with the route home and recognized most of the corners on the country road. We had just taken a left turn off the main road, and I remember seeing the speed limit signs I was used to. It was late and we weren't speaking much in the car, but about 10 to 15 minutes had passed, and I suddenly made eye contact with those same exact signs I had seen a while ago. The route itself was country roads, but there weren't very many turns, and to drive in a loop would have required an extremely long and unusual detour, not one my mother was likely to make, since she drove this route many times before. For her to have ended up back at the same exact spot, she would have had to veer off the known path which we didn't do as it was a pretty straight line to our home. I immediately pointed this out, that somehow we were back in the exact place we were at 15 minutes before. My brother and mother immediately exchanged similar looks of confusion and discomfort, knowing full well we were somehow in the exact same location again. I checked the clock on the dashboard, and sure enough, it displayed the exact time from 15 minutes prior. The remainder of the drive home was uneventful, and we kind of just slept it off. We still talk about the experience from time to time. I thought I'd share this odd time slip story from my family, 
Suffolk has a wide range of mysteries like the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, so I guess it was time there was another strange tale. Phantom Truck at the Haunted Cemetery From Mick Figerson About three years ago, when I first started dating my girlfriend, she went on a trip down to Aruba for a week, and since I didn't have a car at the time, she allowed me to use hers for the duration of the trip. One night, I was chilling with a friend. We were enjoying a few beers and playing some video games. It was getting late, so I decided to head home before becoming too impaired to drive, as we had done a bit of smoking too. As I drove, I was thinking about this earlier conversation I had with my friend, about how one of the old local cemeteries was haunted, and that we used to try to investigate it as teenagers. At the time of writing this, I am 25. Anyway, I decided to take a trip up there myself as it was only a five-minute detour from my main route home. I made it to the cemetery, and I sat there for a moment. I then got out, proceeding to go through the small wooden gate that borders the grounds. As I walked around, I heard strange noises in the tree line, leaves being brushed as if something was walking through them. I brushed it off as deer, because they roam around like crazy in these parts. Another 10 to 15 minutes go by and I decide to leave. I didn't want to chance the police driving by, seeing my girlfriend's car sitting parallel to the gate. The following night, I was hanging with the same friend again. We were doing the same thing as the night before, playing a few rounds back and forth from fight night in UFC. Once it got late, I left as usual. Taking the same route, I decided to go back to the cemetery as my curiosity got the better of me. The turn to the street that the cemetery sits on is a dark, slight hill. Going through that way, the only light is your car's headlights. So I drove up the hill towards the bend, right before the fence of the cemetery begins, when, out of nowhere, a large truck with headlights brighter than most LED lights illuminates my entire car. This truck was right up on me almost instantly, and you can very easily tell a vehicle will be turning on that street because you would see lights shine on the trees at about 100 yards out. But no, this truck just appeared. I put my foot to the floor, driving my girlfriend's cobalt like a bat out of heck, and this truck stayed right on my bumper the entire time. For the short distance we drove, this truck was right on me and I felt completely terrified. I came up to another bend when I hit that turn faster than ever. I noticed then the truck was no longer behind me. It had chased me the entire length of the cemetery before finally disappearing. There were no other lights beside my headlights then, and it was silent after the chase. I didn't return to that cemetery for quite some time, I went back recently as I'd gotten bored getting off the night shift after work. I go up there these days every now and then, during storms or during eclipses, maybe even foggy nights, to see if any of that increases my chances of sighting anything remotely close to what I experienced that night. To this day, I truly believe what chased me was a phantom truck something that guards the grounds of the cemetery. I really don't think it was a person trying to mess with me, considering how quickly it appeared and vanished without noise and with nowhere to turn around. When I tell this story to friends, I always get a chill down my back, and I feel uneasy. I don't care if people believe me or not, but I do hope no one else has to experience it. From Above, from Everett. It was late October. My girlfriend Hannah had begged me to come over to keep her company while her parents were out for the evening. I happily obliged with plans to be back before my own parents' 11pm curfew. It was a fun night, 
we roasted hot dogs over the fire pit behind her house, then carved silly little faces into a couple of small pumpkins as the night wound down. I tossed the slimy guts dramatically towards Hannah at some point, making her squeal. After hosing pumpkin remnants off the porch, I gave Hannah a lingering kiss goodbye around 10.30pm and headed to my dusty Civic. I cranked up a country song about ghosts on the radio as I drove slowly down the winding two-lane road out of Hannah's subdivision, high grass brushing both shoulders. Oaks, cedars, and cottonwoods crowded thick on either side, leaves drifting lazily down in the crisp bottom air that rushed through my cracked windows. I absentmindedly drummed along on the steering wheel to the chorus when a sudden explosive bang and crunch made me scream in shock. Before I even had time to react, my windshield had spiderwebbed violently right above where the steering wheel and dash met. Cold night air instantly invaded the cab as I instinctively slammed both feet on the brakes, sending the car into a skidding stop halfway off the narrow pavement. What in the world? I choked out, my pulse pounding against my ribs. As the dust swirled back down in the headlights, I gawked wordlessly at the long furry legs and foam-flecked nostrils now visible smashed grotesquely against my dash. Half of a six-point rack protruded obscenely through the mangled windshield alongside the deer's limp head. I jerked back against the headrest, mouth hanging open as I fought to process how an entire freaking buck could possibly have crashed straight down onto my speeding Civic. Hands shaking badly from adrenaline, I carefully opened the door and stepped into piled autumn leaves on the side of the road. Moonlight filtering down through the dense trees glinted dully off the poor creature's remaining antler tines, its flaccid tongue poking from its peeled back lips. Dark blood, nearly black in the shadows, oozed steadily over the fractured glass, ruining my dashboard. As the initial shock faded, I swept my stunned gaze skyward, desperately trying to figure out how this bizarre disaster could have happened on an empty country route. I could have sworn it had come from above, not from the left or right, like a deer crossing the road would have. I went to my glove box and pulled out a flashlight I kept in there. Then I looked at the branches above. A few moments later, I spotted something about 50 feet away from my car. I pointed the flashlight at it. There was no mistaking it. An oak limb thick as my thigh dangled out over the asphalt high above the road and still swaying from it was the missing half of the buck's rack. Somehow this fully grown buck had ended up entangled up in an oak tree nearly five stories tall before breaking its antlers and hurtling violently down without warning onto my passing car below and I knew that deer did not get up there by itself. Every hair prickled on my arms and neck with the realization, but morbidly curious, I traced the tree the antlers hung from with my flashlight, wondering if I could find more clues. Country music continued to crackle softly from my busted speakers. There was no way I was going to chalk this up to some elaborate Halloween prank. Even so, I was at a loss for an explanation as to how this even happened. Shaken to my core and giving up, I powered off the flashlight with a shutter and quickly returned to my car. With quite a bit of struggle, I managed to get the deer off my car, and praying it still drove okay, I got behind the steering wheel and drove cautiously back home. I would have to explain this mess to my parents. They didn't believe that a deer had fallen from a tree, but they did believe that a deer had jumped in front of my car and I managed to hit it. So they blamed me for driving too fast, too unsafe, and I was grounded. I later called Hannah about the story. She believed me and was even marveled by the idea of a deer falling from a tree. Now, I've driven past that same rural route dozens of times over the past couple of years, but I've yet to glimpse anything like it again. 
Hannah loves having me retell the story at bonfires, and though it's all fun to her, the memory still sends chills down my spine. Because what put that buck in the tree? What is strong enough to hang a fully grown buck weighing 200 to 300 pounds from a branch five stories high? I think I'd rather not know the answer. But even now, whenever I drive, day or night, I catch myself scanning the treetops whenever the trees on the road I'm driving happen to reach a little too far over the road. Thank you for listening to Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoy this show, think about supporting us. There are several ways you can. Search for EerieCast on your favorite podcast app and follow our other scary shows, especially the other two I host, Tales from the Break Room and Camping Horrors. Leave Unexplained Encounters a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. The more we get, the higher we climb in the charts. Get some cool merch at eeriecast.store or unlock tons of cool extras like exclusive audiobooks and music tracks, add free access to all our shows and a huge 20% discount on all our merch, all for less than three bucks a month by signing up for EerieCast Plus at eeriecast.com plus. Thank you. Until next time, send me your scariest stories of the unexplained at darkstories.org so I can narrate them in a future episode. And follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Dark Prevails for plenty of screams and memes. Stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.